All right, so let's, uh, let's grab our Bibles and let's turn to the book of Acts. We continue our journey. Um, let me just go ahead and say, for those who, who are still wanting to maybe take notes and haven't had a chance to, to grab a booklet to take notes, uh, those uh, booklets are up here. And so grab one. You can start at any point. All of the sermons uh, that uh, have been from Acts are already online, so you can, you can catch up online too. Uh, during uh, on our Spotify account and uh, online too from uh, Facebook and also on YouTube you can catch up there. So make sure you grab a book and follow along with us and uh, we will certainly look to see how the Lord is building His church and what the Lord is doing today. Because the very reason that we are meeting here this morning, the very reason that we are meeting together and worshiping together is because of Jesus Messiah. The very reason that we meet and sing songs of praise to, to the Lord is Jesus Messiah. Name above all names. Emmanuel. God with us. This title is given to the Lord Jesus and it's very helpful for us to think about Jesus as God with us. If you recall in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew on the bookends of that gospel... What did Jesus say of himself when he left his disciples? In the Great Commission, uh, Great Commission passages in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, he says, I am with you always. At the very beginning of Matthew chapter 1 in verse 23, after the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew says of the Emmanuel that he is with us. He is the one who has came to dwell amongst men or to tabernacle with us, found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 14. It is with this topic of Jesus Messiah that we turn our attention. In Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 1 through verse 22, the sermon that I have entitled, The Fruit of True Teaching. The fruit of true teaching. What can we see as fruit for rightful teaching of who Jesus is? I'll ask you if you will please stand with me as we read God's Word. In honor of the reading of God's Word, I'll be reading from verses 1 through 22. And so if any time you feel the need that you need to sit down, please, we will not be offended if you, if you do that. We want to honor God's Word. And so we'll begin at verse 1. Let's read together. This is the apostles as they are speaking and preaching uh, Jesus. Verse 1 says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard and believed, the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes, they gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, 
If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has been that become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. Somebody say amen. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Again, somebody say amen. But seeing the man who was healed standing before them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable, note, a notable sign has been performed through them, and it is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it might spread no further amongst the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, saying, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened for the man on whom this sign of healing has or was performed was more than 40 years of age. Father, we pray that you would bless these words to our heart and our mind. Teach us what you would have us to know. Make much of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so these 22 verses... We're going to travel through them together, and we're going to pluck some fruit uh, off of what it looks like to, tre- to teach and preach and to, uh, to proclaim Jesus truthfully and to lift up Christ. This episode falls on the heels of Peter, who has given a sermon or a sermonette. He was addressing the men of Israel and uh, the healing of this once lame man at what is known as the Beautiful Gate. He healed the lame man. This lame man goes into the temple. He is, he is praising God and he is drawing the, the attention of the people because of his healing. Here's a man who's been, who has been lame for 40, 40, at least 40 years and now he is drawing attention to the people because of his healing. Of course, this gives Peter, by the boldness of the Holy Spirit, an opportunity to point the people to their Jewish heritage and how Jesus is the Messiah, how Jesus is this fulfillment of the covenant given to Abraham. And in case they have forgotten, oh yeah, it was you who murdered him. It was you. Jesus laid his life down, but it was you who murdered him. He walks through how the Messiah was prophesied by the mouth of the prophets and how Jesus, his suffering and his death was foretold. Then something amazing happens that demonstrates the grace of our Lord. Something amazing happens because Peter gives an indication through his explanation and his exposition of the word that there is still hope. 
You mean to tell me, no matter how deep my sin is, that Jesus can forgive me? You mean the same people who were murderers, who had a hand in murdering the Lord Jesus can still be forgiven? If one will repent and one will turn from their sin and submit to Christ. If you remember, Peter says this in chapter 3, verse 19. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. He's talking to murderers. Jesus crucified at the hands of wicked, sinful men. He rose again, and you can be forgiven. What a wonderful display of God's grace is his mercy, and it made me think, why are we so fast as a people to condemn and to heap the judgment of God on people? We might find ourselves saying, oh, well, they'll get theirs, or they're going to pay for what they've done, and of course there's consequence from sin, and I get that. I understand there is a sense, there's an overwhelming sense of wanting to see the wrongs in this world made right. I get it, I understand it. But what if... What if it was God's plan to save the murderer? What if it was God's plan to save the rapist, to save the terrorist? What if it was God's will to save the sinner? And here's some breaking news. Christ came to save the lost. You know, you know that there is, not, there is not a multiplicity of the brand sinners. There's not a cabinet or a catalog that says these are all, this, these are all the, the forms and the brands of, of, of sin or there's not, just, there's not just this multiplicity of lostness. There is just lost. There is just sinful people. And so Peter and John being pressed, they are arrested. They're speaking to the people. If you'll bear with me in just a few moments, we're going to look at some of the fruit to bear from the right teaching of Jesus. First, we find in verse 1 that true teaching of Jesus, it is controversial, but it will bear fruit. Teaching rightfully about Christ and the need to repent, it is controversial, but we find that it bears fruit. Just as Peter was finishing up his sermon and, and reasoning with the people therein, verse 1 tells us that the, uh, the priest and the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, came upon them, getting ready to arrest. They want you to notice that the first thing the authorities wanted to do, what was the first thing they wanted to do? They wanted to shut up Peter's proclamation of Jesus. Just as they did with Jesus, they came rushing in to investigate and just as Jesus disrupted their plans of power, so what Paul, or what Peter and John, what Peter and John is preaching, it will disrupt their plans of power as well. The apostles were preaching a message that would, that would upset their influence. During this time, there were 24 men, temple guards, if you will, that would guard the gates throughout the temple and watch the gate. And here is an interesting turn of events. At first, during the gospel accounts, the Sadducees were not so hot and heavy to condemn Jesus. Although they had a part in it, 
what we mostly see is the scribes and Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, if you will, and the Sadducees were not so upfront, if you will, as the Pharisees and the scribes. But now something has got their attention. Could it be this rapid change of the spiritual temperature of the people of Israel when Jesus is rightly preached? There's just something in the air. Maybe it is the Holy Spirit moving when God's Word is being preached and proclaimed. Here is this Jewish carpenter's son who they had a hand in condemning, who is now more popular than he is more popular then and now than he was when he was alive. Also remember this, that the Sadducees was that religious sect that did not believe in miracles, they did not believe in angels, they didn't believe in any superstition, so to speak, supernatural things, and they did not believe in the resurrection. What is it that Peter is preaching? Peter's preaching that Christ is risen. And here they are to shut up, they are here to shut up Peter and his sermon. It's so amazing to me to think that what a, a simple preaching of the gospel, how it will bring out critics and those who are wanting to stifle the truth of Jesus, which is the case here. And upon reading that, I believe that every pulpit in, the, in America, every pulpit across the globe, whether it's on a pulpit or a lecture, whether it's on a ditch bank or meeting in a secret room, every pulpit Every place where God's word is proclaimed, it must be aflame with the gospel. Nothing else will do. No self-help junk, no tickling of the ears will ever grant a person spiritual maturity. And nobody is going to know how to come to Christ if all of you are preaching is, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. All right, so here's the time of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And little did they know in 37 short years from this time, 37 short years from this episode, the temple would be destroyed by Rome in 70 AD and this religious order will be disintegrated. But the gospel endures forever. But the gospel endures forever. See, when a person rightly preaches Jesus crucified and risen, the world takes notice. How does the world react? I submit to you that they react in one of three ways, and maybe even a fourth. Number one, they adhere to truth. How do they react? They adhere to truth. They hear the truth, the Holy Spirit pricks their heart, and they react. The second is they become unconcerned. They become apathetic to it, don't care either way. Or they are greatly annoyed. Look at verse 2. And sometimes people being greatly annoyed by the truth can lead to persecution, as it does. They're greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, namely Jesus' resurrection. And they arrested them, they put them into custody, they held them in the county jail, so to speak, overnight. But here's what it says in verse 4. They were preaching, many heard the word proclaimed, and the number of men was about 5,000. Now that does not evidently say that they rushed off 
and became Jesus' apostles or, or, or disciples right away, but it simply says that they believed what Peter was preaching. And I just might be just simple-minded here to just, they come to faith in Christ. Here's a testament to the power in preaching God's word unapologetically. I shouldn't have to stand here and tell you you're a sinner and then likewise, and then in the same breath, apologize for what I just said. Standing for truth will be controversial and it may even get you arrested. And unless the Lord returns, I affr I'm afraid that that persecution is breathing down our neck. Now, I'm not talking about some mask wearing or whether or not the church was allowed to meet or not to meet. I'm not talking about this pseudo uh, persecution language. Some of them might say, oh, they made us wear a mask. We couldn't, we couldn't come to worship. That's not persecution. I'm talking about true persecution, being arrested or even killed for preaching Jesus. This is, this is what Peter and John was facing. It very well could have led to, to them being killed for their faith in Jesus. See, at this point, these men were just merely, they were just merely annoyed. Above all, the fruit of this event, I believe, outweighed the consequences. Was it worth Peter and John preaching the truth of Jesus if they knew that they were either going to be in prison or killed for their faith? And I submit to you that the fruit of this event outweighed the consequence. 5,000 people came to know Jesus. Was it worth it? Is it worth it for you to reach out to those around you with the truth of Jesus Christ? Have you ever looked at your family or friends and said, I wonder if they know the Lord? They say they do, but they don't act like it. At worst, you might get told to go away. They might just simply be annoyed. Go away. You might just be told not to preach anymore. But is it worth it if one person submits to Jesus as Lord? Is it worth it? Is it worth a little inconvenience to preach Jesus and proclaim Jesus and to meddle a little bit in your family affairs to find out? You may or may not have heard this name, Thomas, uh, Thomas Bilney. Chances are you've never heard of Thomas Bilney. He was also known as Thomas Little or the Little Bilney. He was a Cambridge University student who around 1526, out of pure curiosity and academic accolade, he got himself a Greek New Testament Bible and read it for pure academic exercise. He only opened up God's Word as he was reading God's Word, as he was reading the Gospel accounts of Jesus, the Word of God began to get in his heart and mind, and the gospel of Jesus transformed Billy. He repented of his sins and became a believer in Jesus. The word of God that he opened up and read on the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus, it changed him. And the verse that Billy read was from 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15 that says, It is a true saying and worthy of men to embrace that Christ came into the world to save sinners. The Apostle Paul says, of who I am the chief. I am the chiefest of sinners. 
be only sad that this one sentence, through God's instruction and inward working, which I did not then perceive, did so exhilarate my heart, being before wounded with the guilt of my sin and almost being in despair that immediately I felt a marvelous comfort and quietness insomuch that my bruised bones leapt for joy. At the same time, as Billney had his awakening, the Protestant Reformation was well into its years. He was so convinced of the Scripture, he was so convinced the truth of Jesus that Billney joined the Cambridge Protestants. He began preaching God's Word. He began being an advocate for Jesus Christ and preaching freely that it is only through Christ one is saved. In 1527, he was arrested, and like Peter and John, he was threatened with, into silence. Be quiet. But he was so gripped by God's Word, he couldn't help but to preach of the risen Christ. Thomas just could not be quiet about the Gospel. He was arrested, released, and then again in 1531, he was arrested one last time, condemned as a heretic by the Catholic Church, and on August 19, 1531, at the age of 36, Thomas Bilney was burned at the stake for his Protestant views. This quiet little man, for the sake of the gospel, influenced a whole generation during the Reformation. Are we faithful enough in proclaiming the word of the Lord and Jesus to get just a little bit of attention? What are we worried about? What are we worried about? We live in the most cushioned place to proclaim the truth of Jesus that I have ever seen in my life. What are we worried about? Some of our friends and family members, they need to hear it. My, maybe even in my own family, they need to hear, no, you are, you are actually, you are not okay in your walk with Jesus. No, you are not okay. Do it lovingly. You are not okay in your walk with Christ. See, good works and good intentions, they will never save anybody. Your good works and your good intentions will never, will never save you. The scene shifts. The rulers and the elders and the scribes, they gather at Jerusalem. Here they are with Annas and the high priest and Caiaphas. They are like co-high priests together. And John and Alexander, Alexander being a relative of Annas and John, no doubt, of this high priestly order family. There was 24 priests, 24 elders. There were 22 scribes made up a council or what we might call a Sanhedrin. They began to press upon the apostles. And it made me think what fruit comes to bear of teaching Jesus in this episode. What we find is that true teaching about Jesus will bring a wonder. It will bring a wonder. Sometimes this wonder will be found in awe, A-W-E. Sometimes it will be just found in simple questioning, wanting to know about the Jesus of the Bible. But what did Jesus say about himself in John 12 and 32? What did he say of himself? He said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So there might be uh, an awe or a wonder, there might be simple inquiry, but what it proclaims to me is that if Jesus be lifted up, he will draw men into himself. Look at verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. 
by what power or by what name did you do this? And I imagine that this is not a rhetorical question. Notice, not only did they not deny the miracle, but they're actually agreeing that something otherworldly has happened. They, they can't deny it. They, it's even their words. They can't deny it. The main issue was not whether or not this lame man could walk. That wasn't the issue. The issue wasn't even the perceived miracle before them. That's not their issue. That's not, that's not what they have issue concerning Peter and John with. The main issue has to do with power. Who is actually in control? And they thought of themselves as the only religious advisors in the land. They thought that all power to instruct people in spiritual affairs and affairs of the Torah on the law and of God or Yahweh, they, all, they thought that everything should originate through them. And they were the same people, mind you, that Jesus said are like a whitewashed tomb. What did Jesus say? That this whitewashed tomb has the appearance of piety and religiosity, piousness. But on the inside, he said that they were full of dead men's bones. And we can rephrase what Jesus, or we can rephrase what they asked of, of these apostles who gave you the right to act in this way. Notice Peter's bold response. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, rulers and people and elders, in case you forgot, I just want you to know, so, there's, so the lines are clear here. If we are being examined today concerning a, the good deeds done to this crippled man, and by what means this man has been healed, okay, if that's our examination, I want you to let it be known, let it be known to the people of Israel and to you that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. Remember, men of Israel, you were supposed to be what built up Israel as being a light to the nations. You were supposed to be the builders of Israel where the rest of the world would wonder, who is this God that they serve? And they would bow down and they would worship and they would worship the God of creation. But as you have failed, that stone that you rejected has now become the cornerstone. And just so we are clear that there's no ambiguity here. The poor lame man has been healed by Jesus Messiah. And in case I wasn't clear on the first time, he said, you crucified him, but now that Jesus is alive. And so this speech gives us reason to believe that the healed lame man was right there before their eyes. They cannot deny this miracle. And hey, if, if we're going to be examined, let's examine this thing rightly. If we're going to be examined, let's, let's do it right. If we're going to teach God's word, let's, let's do it right. If people are going to be offended, let them be offended by the truth of Scripture and not by just something stupid that we say, by mishandling God's word. If they're going to be offended, let it be offended by the truth of Scripture. Let's do it right. And even here at this council, Peter points them back to remember the prophecy concerning Messiah. He's expounding from Psalm 118. Verse 22 and 23, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. If we are true to the word, as Peter and, Peter and John here are our example, if we represent Jesus truthfully, 
and not Jesus as our teammate or our buddy, our co-pilot. Jesus is none of those things. He is the sovereign God of the universe. If we were to look at Rembrandt's painting entitled The Three Crosses, you might notice in this painting that the centerpiece, of course, is the cross. If we began to survey this painting, uh, this sketching, and we see high and lifted up is Jesus Christ as He should be. We began to scan the crowd and we began to see the faces of those who are pleased with their work, that they have persecuted the quote-unquote, the king of the Jews, and their faces seem to be filled with some of pleasure, some satisfaction, others with lament, as we see. We see there's a mixture in the crowd. And then we find over in the shadows, barely able to see, right over on my left and on your right-hand side, and we look very, very closely, there in the shadows, there painted in the shadows, is a figure. And art critics say that this representation is of Rembrandt himself, painting himself. You can see the arrows, that's not what he painted. <laughs> he recognized that by his sin, that he helped to nail Jesus to the cross. And more than likely, we were like those who would have said, crucify him, crucify him. He recognized his sin, that he helped to nail Jesus Messiah to the cross. See, presenting the truth of Jesus, that he calls us out from sin, will draw us into him. The question is, are we lifting up Jesus high enough for people to see him? Lastly, true teaching of Jesus will bring freedom. Look at verse 12. There's no salvation. There's salvation in no one else other than the name of Jesus that's given amongst men by which we must be saved. The Messiah has come and gone. The Messiah is, uh, he has ascended. The next time Jesus returns, he will not be returning to bring salvation as we saw on the cross, but he will be returning with a sword of judgment. Now, not long before this, Peter was cowering away in the crowd, denying the Lord. But now he addresses these men in boldness. And they are now looking at this once lame man under, under heaven. And he says, there is no other name under heaven which men might be saved. As if to say that there is more going on here than just a physical healing offered by Jesus Messiah. In the words of John Gill, he says, Christ is the only Savior and Redeemer whom has promised and prophesied as such who has saved and redeemed His people from the law, from sin, and from Satan. And so it seems that Peter is poking the fire of sin a little bit. Poking the sin. Recognize it. Own it. If you are here today in sin, own it. Give it to the Lord. Sometimes we need to poke at the sin a little bit and call it out in our lives and not deny it. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that these are uneducated, common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That is, they are uninstructed of the learning of the Jewish 
of, of, the, of the Jewish law. They are unlearned in the Torah. They are common men of the common sort. They are untrained in teaching. In fact, for a lack of better words, Peter and John and the apostles, they were Torah school dropouts. Now, you would think that as they surveyed God's road, uh, word from cover to cover, or from scroll to scroll, mind you, that they would be able to see how the God of the universe actually operates. You would think that enough time spent in God's word, you would come to the realization that God operates in a certain way with those who might be Torah school dropouts or the underdog. If they really knew the God of the universe and how he operates, they would know that this is exactly the kind of people that God uses. The the uneducated, the underdog, the down and out, the dropout. God takes a peasant and makes him a prince in terms of kingdom work. And I'm glad he does. Because I was a peasant. What a great reminder. You don't have to have a degree, a Ph.D., to teach theology. (laughs) You don't need those things to preach truth. But you need to know something about God. He expects us all to be used in kingdom work. God has a way of of taking the shy, the down and out, and making them into, into bold people. The last phrase is so telling. In fact, the glaring application hardly needs for me to bring it out. It was once said, what is understood doesn't need to be discussed. But we're going to talk about it a little bit. This phrase, that they knew that they were with Jesus. And the application is so glaring. Do people know that you have been with Jesus? Do they know that you have spent time with the Savior? Do they know that you belong to Him? So let's finish this out. Seeing the man who was healed standing behind, beside them, they had nothing to say. They commanded the council to leave. They conferred. They met with one another. There was a sign there. They could not deny it. End of verse 16. But in order that they might not spread it any further, they warned them not to speak anymore in this name. Now, by this time, these religious men, they would not even speak the name of Jesus correctly. As if to somehow mar his character. In fact, throughout history, you'll find documentations to where they had taken the name of Jesus and altered it. In fact, you will find in some documentations where the name Jesus would be used, they would have used the word Yeshu. Would not even fully pronounce the name. But thanks to Luke, he actually names, it, names Jesus out in the text. As to where the Sadducees would distort the name of Jesus, Luke the evangelist wants to make sure, yeah, that we get this. So they called them, charged them not to speak and teach in the name of Jesus. The evangelist wants us to know it's the name of Jesus, not just simply that name that you went out in. And Peter and John answered, Let us right in the eyes of God, you judge. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And they had uh, threatened them. They told them to go on their way because the people were praising God because of the lame man's miracle. The man on whom the sign was performed and he was healed, he was at least 40 years of age. This man was lame for 40 years. God had done a work. It proclaimed who Jesus is. It was done by the hand of the resurrected Lord. 5,000 people believed on that day, if not more. 
The question is, how did the Lord add to the church daily? This is just one aspect. True freedom comes by resting in Christ and He in us. There's something to be said about proclaiming the truth of Jesus as the exclusive alleviator of our sins. He has taken our sin upon Himself. There is no other name. There is no other way. And I believe that is what the world hates. Is the exclusive claim that you can only come into God's good graces and be justified, sanctified, and glorified in the name of Jesus and there is no other name. D.L. Moody said, If you really study God's word, I believe you'll get so full of it that you can't help but speak it out. He said the reason that so many don't care to work for God is that they are so empty that they cannot find anything to say. You cannot bring water out of a dry well. There are two ways of getting water. One is by pumping. And many Christians are like these pumps that you have to pump a very long time before you get anything out of them. The other kind of well is that what they call an artisan well. They dig down deep until they come to the very fountain itself, hundreds of feet below. Then up springs the water into the air, and they don't need any pumping. I wish the Christians would be like the artisan, springing up water. Peter and John, they were not empty. And you don't have to be either. You don't have to be either. In closing, quick reminder... True teaching of Jesus is controversial, but will bear truth. It needs to be done. True teaching of Jesus will bring wonder and all. So preach Him and teach Him. Live Him out. Proclaim Him in your life. True teaching of Jesus will bring freedom. There is no other name under heaven which men might be saved. Only Jesus brings true spiritual freedom. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean this Christian walk is going to be a bed of roses. But it is rewarding and brings freedom and satisfaction in Jesus alone. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. These verses that we have examined today, we pray that these verses have examined us by your word and by your Holy Spirit. God, I, I just pray, Father, that you will speak to us. If a person is here today and doesn't know the gospel that we have peered into the day that Christ is risen again, that we cast our sin upon, upon, he, upon you, and we are saved in doing so. Father, we, we pray that they would repent, turn from their sins, and follow you, Jesus. We pray for the church, God, that as we lift up Christ, we will see fruit, even if we might not even see it uh, immediately, Father. There is fruit that comes from preaching and teaching and exhibiting Christ rightfully, and we pray that we'll be faithful to do that. And Father, it does matter. It does matter what church we go to. It does matter what assembly we attend. If Jesus is not proclaimed, it certainly matters what fellowship we are with, Father. So we pray for those who might even be listening, considering a church. May they find a church that preaches God's word, teaches God's word, that Jesus Christ is the exclusive way of salvation. And I pray these things now in Jesus' name.